the past, the present, the future. This is Friday Night Fright. What the planet is listening to. Hello everyone, this is yours, everyone's, and especially Universe's favourite host of horror theme paraphernalia and movies. This is Ian Austin of Friday Night Fright fame. After my rather spiffing episode last week, episode 38, Wretch, which I'm very proud of, and I think New Instructions best thing this podcast has ever done, which is particularly good because this playing session's not done by me. That's fine. It's all good. But I think that's a particular high mark for episodes. I wasn't quite sure how it would be received, but people seem to be enjoying it as far as I know. This isn't obviously a very communicative podcast in terms of responses, but no one's angry at me, so that's fine. Except for one person I've blocked, but, you know, what can you do? Anyway, today's episode is going to be on ghost stories, which for the purposes of transparency, I have seen the movie twice before, and I... I think they say I liked it more the second time. I saw a premiere, Ojun Limp premiere thing first time. You know, one of those screaming scenes. And I enjoyed it, but I was a bit, you know, not terribly impressed. And saw it again recently and I really enjoyed it. So I'm going to watch it a third time to see if it matches up to the third viewing test. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I'll be back after brief word from my sponsor. Hello, everyone. This is Ian Austin, Friday Night Fright, back again. After my introductions, I've introduced myself twice. Don't know why I did that, but that's fine. And hey, yep, time to discuss ghost stories, which I'm going to be doing a little preamble here. Um, I'm not doing a recap for this movie because I feel ghost stories, one of its strengths is not knowing what's going to happen and then being able to watch it and uncover the mysteries and things like that. So for me, recap it, I don't think that's particularly fair. So for the recap section, I would be recapping uh, another terrible horror movie. Um, but I'm going to keep that surprise until I get to that point. But for ghost stories, I'm going to be talking about it in as much a general sense as possible, because like I said, I don't want to reveal too much of secrets. I feel like the work putting by writers and directors of this movie deserve to be appreciated. As a first watch, I'm going to be skirting the edges of the movie by talking about some of the acting, some of the performances, the um, shot composition and things like that. So it's going to be a more general view than usual. I think the first thing to start off with is by saying that it's a really intricate movie. It's three stories... Uh, four stories even he's got the three cases that the guy uncovers and then got the overall story and i think it's really intricate and really intriguing how they did that it's obviously based on stage play but i can't imagine stage play being that similar to the movie maybe a lot of the story beats but in terms of composition things like that the movie is quite visual in terms of locations and shifting things like that which is interesting because you see a lot of movies like something like Mamma Mia which becomes a movie but isn't particularly cinematic despite filming in these beautiful vistas and locations it doesn't feel like it's a particularly well shot movie where something like Ghost Stories feels like they took advantage of cinema a lot more which was very cool so I'm just going to have a drink of water I got a really bad fucking headache today so and that's what Ghost Stories does not give you. It doesn't give you a headache. You have a headache before you start watching, and then a headache comes back with vengeance. Oh, that's good. So I feel like to discuss Ghost Stories, one first has to discuss the sort of movie it is. This isn't a jump scare horror movie, although there are jump scares. It's trying something a little more intricate. Um, there are some slightly broader aspects to it, but the central story is... Um, 
dealing with uh, trauma um, and the idea of a ghost real is our paranormal investigations real and obviously my answer to that be no they're not it's all made up shit but movie tries to play it a bit differently by using that as its focus what is real you know is what we believe real is what we see real or is it what we choose to see and that's quite a cool dynamic go on because lots of horror movies try to play the ambiguity don't do a particularly good job of it whereas this movie does a very good job of playing up you know that sort of sense of reality it's also a very well structured movie it's our 38 minutes which i appreciate um just go over the gist of what movie is the basic synopsis is Professor Philip Goodman votes his life to exposing phony psychics and fraudulent supernatural shenanigans. His scepticism soon gets put to test when he receives news of free chilling in his political cases. Disturbing visions in an abandoned asylum. A car accident deep in woods. And the spirit of an unborn child. Even scary, each of macabre stories seem to have since the connection to Professor's own life. And that's a nice twist because... It's a bit like I was saying a few minutes ago, or a few seconds ago even. It's three stories telling a fourth story. Each story informs our perception of what's going on in Philip's life, building up to a nice credenza, which is very cool. I will say one thing I find about movies that makes it a little difficult to review is that when you're watching something like this, you need to watch it a couple of times to really understand it. Because there are lots of moments in the movie which pay back, pay off other moments, but only realise them in retrospect. But at the same time, not something like Sixth Sense. I've always found with Sixth Sense, um, Sixth Sense, the Sixth Sense, I tried getting out, it didn't rework. Really I always found that movie, I can't re rewatch it. Reason can't rewatch it is I know it builds up to that final moment, that really moment crystallises in that movie. But I feel like once you know that moment, the movie doesn't really have anything to offer past that point. Ghost Stories works differently because I feel like it's well constructed enough that you can go back and watch it again after knowing how it ends and it actually informs you a bit more. You know, it's not just about twist. It's a well constructed movie regardless of that. You know, it does a good job the scares and jump scares and shit like that. And I think Love That's anchored by Andy Nyman as Professor Goodman, who obviously wrote, co-wrote and directed the movie, which is a really good, really tight performance. And also quite powerful and tragic to watch because it deals with a lot of um, harsh themes from the 80s and also is an uncurrent of perceived discrimination towards his character for being Jewish. And I feel like that sort of performance and that sort of harsh reality has given it an elevation above certain other horror movies which don't tend to look at those aspects in quite the same regard. I also feel that special praise needs to be given to Paul Whitehouse, who, I mean, we all know Paul Whitehouse is a very funny human being, but he's an incredible actor at the same time. The amount of range he has for accents and things like that. And putting him in horror movies got an interesting guard because his section part of it's quite talky. We obviously get the um flashbacks which add a bit of depth to it, but his section starts off with a lot of talking and he's very good at accentuating uh, human behaviour and putting it out there. And he does a really good job here taking character who in some hands could be a bit of um no stereotype, stereotype's the wrong word. Stereotype's definitely the wrong word, but it's like 
Yeah, sorry, I, I know I keep stumbling over my words a bit. But yeah, stereotype's definitely the wrong word, but he's a bit of a xenpho, bit of a slight racist. Um, in some regards, those are, those are terrible characteristics, but he play, Paul Whitehouse plays this character of Tony with a very matter-of-factness, like, this is who I am, you know. And as for a good bit of conflict, he's clearly not particularly enamoured by um, Professor Goodman. But he does a really good job taking the sense of language and doing a really interesting job with that. Alex Lawford plays student plays the student and he's a I, I give him particular props. He's a very, very good actor. He's gonna have a huge future. He's been in a lot of interesting weird shows over years. What's that one? Um, oh yeah, The End of the Fucking Weird, where he's an unbelievable that. And um he was in season three of Black Mirror Shut Up and Dance as Kenny, which is another amazing performance. I mean it's very difficult. Silver sort of acting do playing quite unlikable characters. I'm interested to see stage play of this actually, because it gets really good reviews and it'd be interesting to see how it differs to the actual movie. I I find that shots composition of this movie, I find that quite interesting too. They like their wide open vistas. It's trying to take horror out of the cramped enclosed spaces. All of these areas they use here, except for the warehouse and the um, Paul Whitehouse's character is a sort of landman at. They use quite wide open species. There's taking advantage of the freedom that cinema gives them. You know, obviously on stage you're not restricted. You know, your imagination can play a key part, but you sort of have what you have and don't really have the option to just go, oh, being mid or being mill of woods and will actually feel like mill of woods. You know, I know the acting on stage can make up for a lot of. Um, the shortcomings in terms of locational variance, but at the same time, it's nice to actually see the woods, you know. I think the movie tri- plays tricks on you quite a bit, but I enjoy that because I feel like we're being tricked as much as Professor Goodman's being tricked. It's one for recurring lines of movies, the brain sees what, or mind sees what it wants to see. In that regard, it could be true because there's a lot of um. I mean, first time watching, there's a lot of clues I didn't pick up on as I was going through, and now that you found out what the truth is and believing truth, you can actually pick up on those clues. So yeah, I would say this is a really good horror movie. Very atmospheric, very tense, very well acted. You know, you can't underestimate that. And also very weird because it's messing with your head but in a very subtle way. You know, a lot of horror is like a sledgehammer to the face and ghost stories seem to be much different to that. Instead of being sledgehammer to the face, it's more like a a, a gentle knock to the back of the head, you know. <laughs> so so not really very much like a donkey punch, you know. <laughs> I don't know where that comparison came from. But yeah, I won't spoil ghost stories, but definitely go and watch it because it's a really good horror movie. In this day and age, that's really rare, to be honest, isn't it? If we're being completely up front of ourselves. But you know you can trust old Ian. I mean, I recommended Wretch last week, and that's a fantastic horror movie. So there you go. So that's my review of ghost stories. Um, I'll be doing... Halftime Handball will be coming back in just a few seconds. And then after that, I would be doing a recap of a horror movie. Um, I'll be finding the this horror movie I can on something like Wikipedia or something like that. And I'll do a recap of that. So that'll be along in a few minutes.
And now it's time for Halftime Handball. Previously on Halftime Handball, do you know Handball Let is evil? He's a cannibal. He eats people. He's a serial killer. He dresses smart. He's very European. He's very debonair. He's very dashing. Could he be evil? Mr. Graham thinks he might be, but Long Fishburne isn't so sure. Long Fishburne's posing as a police officer named Jack Crawford. Jack Crawford's wife may or may not have cancer. Does she? Who knows? I can't remember. It's been months since I've watched an episode. And what about crime scene guys? What about cats? And dogs? The cats and dogs? What's going on with them? They can make more quips? Who knows? They might do. They might not. And what about Abigail? Abigail Bloom. She's a psychiatrist. Will she investigate Hannibal Lecter? Could she uncover his psyche? Would she want to? And what about that Hannibal Lecter? I've seen that face before. I think he was in Doctor Strange. I think he was in Rogue One. I think he might have even been in James Bond Casino Royale. Who knows? Le Chiffre. Le Chiffre knows. But what about that episode? What about that person who's murdered? And eaten? There's a lot of candles in the area this show takes place in. That seems strange. Is it something we need to know from Brian Fuller? He's a man great pushing daisies. Pushing daisies? Daisies pushing? It's a metaphor for death. Handball's about death. It's a meaningful program. There's love slow motion. My favourite part is when Handball cooks. Because he's cooking human meat. That's the joke. That's the joke. That's the joke. Hannibal is a serial killer. He's a cannibal. Hannibal the cannibal. And just like that, another episode's over. And it's not Abigail, it's Alana, Alana Bloom. Abigail's the kid Hannibal's befriended. He convinced her father to become a full-blown serial killer. Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? Mark Fishburne knew. Mark Fishburne knows everything. He's a basking robins of humans. And we're to next week. This has been Halftime Handball. And remember, previously on Handball, Hannibal was a cannibal. I'll see you next week. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed the return Halftime Handball. I know I did. I'm totally not recording this section before I actually start watching Halftime Handball. And I know for a fact that that will be definitely a big episode and won't possibly be preempted, making this section look completely pointless. So I think do something a bit different. I, I feel like on, on um, Friday Night Fright, we record a lot of reviews and recaps of horror movies. But I think sometimes I forget that a lot of times horror movies aren't necessarily the thing which I'm most terrified by. I am, as a man in my early mid-30s, Delete is appropriate. What horrifies me most is romantic comedies. They are infrequently terrifying and frequently terrifying. And I figure, hey, why not do a recap for lovely romantic comedy which I deem a horror movie? And so, firstly, why not do one based on seemingly everyone's favourite romantic comedy slash horror movie, Love Actually? So, in about 10 seconds, I'm going to spoil the whole Love Actually for you, my snideness. So, you've got five, four, Three, two, one. If you're still listening, you are about to get spoiled. Love actually begins with voiceover from David, brackets, Hugh Grant, commenting that whenever he gets gloomy about the state of the way he thinks about the arrival terminal at Heathrow Airport, comma, what on the fuck? And pure uncomplicated love for his friends and families when they're arriving loved ones, full stop. 
Huh. David's voiceover also relates and all messages left by people who died on 911 blades were messages of love and not hateful. Stop. I think that's a little awkward, um, even in retrospect, okay? The film then tells the love stories of many people, like Billy Mac and Joe. With the help of his longtime manager, Joe, brackets Gregor Fisher, comma, rock and roll legend Billy Mac, brackets B. Nighy, and brackets, records a Christmas variation of the Trots' Love is All Around. Although he thinks the record is terrible, and it is, comma, Mac promotes the release and hope it will become Christmas number one single, comma, which it does, full stop. After briefly celebrating his victory at a party hosted by Sarah and John, Comma. Billy says that Joe is in need of affection and suggests that he and Joe celebrate Christmas by going drunk and watching porn full stop. Okay, for transparency, I actually do quite like love, actually, but that's fucking weird to read. It's a lot weirder to read than actuality, you know, than actually to watch. Plus, that's by far the best section of the movie, and it sounds like shit to read out loud. So that's not a good sign. Anyway, I'll... God, here we go. Juliet, Peter and Mark. Oh, Jesus, this one. Juliet, brackets, Kira Knightley. And Peter's, brackets, Shiweto Iofa. And brackets, marriage is videotaped by best man, comma, Mark, brackets, Andrew Lincoln. Full stop. Although both Juliet and Peter believe that Mark dislikes Juliet, comma, he's actually in love with her, full stop. This is so awkward. When Mark invades Juliet's request, video made at wedding, comma, Juliet visits Mark, full stop. She says she wants them to be friends, and, comma, when she finds and views the wedding video, comma, it turns out to be just doing close-ups of her, full stop. After an uncomfortable silence, comma, Mark blurts out and he snubs her out of safe preservation, full stop. On Christmas Eve, Juliet, comma, Juliet answers doors find Mark carrying a boombox, playing Christmas songs in large cue cards, comma, and which is written without expectation for precipitation. He loves her. As he walks away, Juliet runs after him, giving him a quick kiss before she returns inside. That's still weird even now. I remember at the time I watched that and I was like, that's fucking creepy as shit. And I'm a weird guy. I, I have no luck with female sex. Ow, I'm use, I'm fucking useless. That's still fucking creepy to me. So God knows what it comes across as people are borderline competent. And also so weird. Like, I get that Mark fancies her, but why the fuck would all of your videos be close-ups of her unless you were going back to, oh no, it's, it's porn, isn't it? He's wanking off to close-ups of her face and her wedding dress dude look i'm a weird guy even i fucking wouldn't do that jesus christ jamie and aurelia aurelia writer jamie brackets colin firth his push by his gay friend brackets sienna gallery to attend juliet and peter's wedding loan commerce she feigns in this full stop he returns between ceremony and reception check on her comma and discovers that she's having an affair of his brother the fuck? Crush, comma. Jamie withdraws to French Cottage, comma, where he meets Portuguese housekeeper Aurelia, Lucia Meniz, comma, who's not speak English. Oh, that's a good start. Full stop. Despite their inability to communicate, comma, which is a pretty fucking big thing that you need in a relationship, comma, they've come attracted to each other. Oh, I bet they fucking do. They just know they're attracted to each other, full stop. When Jamie returns to England, comma, he realises he's in love with Aurelia and begins learning Portuguese, full stop. How is he in love with her if they never actually have a fucking conversation? 
He returns to France to find them and ends up walking through town, calmly gathering people as they walk to a job at a restaurant, full stop. In broken Portuguese, he declares his love for her and proposes, full stop. She says yes, comma, in broken English, comma. This crowd erupts in applause. Why are they applauding? It's literally the first conversation these two have ever had. And Kraut's like, like, very good, very, very good, very, very good. It's not just because you want to get fucked. I mean, he's not even divorced yet. Literally not divorced. Oh, it's so bad. Oh, fuck, here we go. Harry, comma, Karen and Mia. Harry, brackets, Alan Rittman. It's the managing director of a design agency. Mia, Heike Makash, is his new secretary. Also, incidentally, movies, clear she's not his new secretary. Harry's company married to his wife, brackets, Comma, Karen, brackets, M. Thompson, comma, he stays home and raises her kids. Harry, full stop, Harry comes increasingly aroused by Mia's overtly sexual cave at the office and does nothing to dissuade her. Full stop. At company Christmas party, he at Mark's gallery, comma, he not only inquires if Mark is her boyfriend, comma, but all dances closely with her. Full stop. While at shops, comma, he calls Mia, find out what she wants for Christmas, and ends up almost caught by his wife purchasing an expensive necklace from jewellery department, thanks to salesman Ron Atkinson. Stop. Later on, comma, Karen discovers necklace in Harry's coat pocket and happily assumes it is a gift for her, full stop. When she finds the similarly shaped box under the tree to open on Christmas Eve, comma, she is heartbroken and finds it's a Joan Mitchell CD, comma, meaning that necklace was someone else, full stop. Doesn't necessarily mean that. It could be a gift for later for you. She confronts Harry and asks him what he'd do if he were her, full stop. She says that he has made mockery of their marriage and of her. I, I'm joke site this section does actually have an incredible scene where Thompson has a breakdown. She's an amazing actress. But it's also really fucking stupid. And now back to something even more fucking stupid. David and Natalie, Karen's brother, comma, David, brackets, Hugh Grant, comma, it's a recently elected Prime Minister, full stop. Natalie, brackets, Martin McCutcheon, is a new junior member of household staff at 10 Downing Street. Full stop. During a meeting for the newest president, Billy Bob Thornton, a fucking course it is, comma, they rung in Natalie, president makes some inappropriate comments, David, about Natalie's body, full stop. What the fuck is this? Later, comma, David walks in on Natalie serving tea and biscuits to president, comma, and it appears that something untoward is happening, full stop. Oh no, not something untoward. Natalie seems ashamed, comma, but pressing is a slight grin on his face, full stop. At Bowen joint press conference, comma, Davis uncharacteristically assertive while taking stand against Preston's intimidating policies, full stop. That is such complete and utter bollocks. I'm sorry, that's fucking ludicrous. Finding his relationship with Natalie's become strained and distracting, comma, Davis has moved to another job, full stop. That is sexual harassment. However, Comedy is spurred to action on Christmas Eve when he finds a Christmas card from Natalie declaring that she is his and knowing this is full stop. This is so weird. After a door-to-door search of street comedy, he comes across Mia, comma, who informs him that Natalie lives next door. Fucking course she does. Full stop. The entire family is on their way to multi-school Christmas play. He offers to drive them so he can talk to her. Full stop. After Natalie sneaks him into school, comedy, he runs into a heartbroken sister who believes he's there for his niece and nephew. Oh, he's Karen's brother by the way full stop as two try to keep from being seen watch show from backstage comedy they finally kiss david and natalie kiss david doesn't kiss his sister all right david and natalie kiss 
Full stop. All hidings for nothing, comma, however, comma, as curtain rises and they're seen kissing by F1. Full stop. That'd be a fucking scandal instantly. Daniel, comma, Sam, comma, Joanna and Carol. Daniel, brackets Liam Neeson, comma, Karen's friend, comma, mourns the recent death of his wife, comma, Joanna, as he tries to raise his stepson, Sam, brackets Thomas Sandster alone. It should be noted that Daniel doesn't walk streets threatening to kill people of different races because he believes that they've raped someone in his past. That's not what Daniel does. <laughs> Sam has fallen from... Mac- well, the movie doesn't say he does. Maybe he does, I don't know. Sam has fallen from... American- Liam Neeson's going to be so angry if he listens to this. Sam has, Sam has fallen from American classmate, comma, also named Joanna, brackets Olivia Olsen. That's really weird. Why is he interesting a woman named the same, with the same names as my old... Dear, dear God, this movie's going weird. Brackets, comma, even, and comma, after discussing with his stepfather, comma, decides to learn drum singing and company her in big finale for the school's Christmas pageant. Brackets, the same one that David's niece and nephew slash Karen and Harry's children ring, and brackets. Wait a second, the movie doesn't say he's a stepfather. I've always just distant father. I don't even give a shit. Why am I discussing this? After Sam feels he missed his chance to make an impression on her, comma, Dave, Daniel, fucking... Daniel convinces Sam he must go catch Joanna Brack, comma, who's turning to US, comma, at the airport that night and show how he feels, comma, lest he regret it. Isn't it maybe Christmas Day at this point? So Sam runs away from the airport security and says, hi, Joanna, comma, and then kisses him on cheek, full stop. Meanwhile, comma, Daniel meets Claudia Schiffer, comma, a mother of one of Sam's schoolmates. This is fucking ludicrous. Okay, Sarah, comma, Carl and Michael. Sarah Laura Lingy, brackets, first appears at Juliet and Peter's wedding, comma, sitting next to her friend Jamie. She is an American works at Harry's graphic design company, been in love for years with company's craft director, comma, Carl, brackets, Rodrigo Santoro. They finally connect at the film's Christmas party and he drives her home. They're going to fuck, aren't they? They kiss, comma, but before they can fuck, comma, they're interrupted by her mentally ill brother, comma, Michael, comma, phone from mental care facility. Cool stuff. Sarah and Carl's chance of fucking's aborted. Aborted's not the right word to use, Wikipedia. Come on! And Carl leaves full stop. Both are working late on Christmas Eve and when Carl leaves, comma, he just wishes her a Merry Christmas, full stop. Michael phones Sarah and she goes stare at him, comma, sharing her Christmas scarf. What a load of bollocks. <sighs> Here we go, more bollocks. Colin, comma, Tony and the Americans. After unsuccessfully attempting to woo various English women, comma, including Mia and Nancy, brackets Julie Davis, comma, Kate at Julie Peter's wedding, comma, Colin Frissel, brackets Chris Marshall, informs his friend Tony Abdul-Salis that he plans to go to America, comma, convinced his Britishness will be an asset for some. Landing Milwaukee, Wisconsin, comma, Colin meets Stacey Ivana Milekovich, Jeannie January Jones, Caroline Elise Cuthbert, comma, three stunningly attractive women who fall for his Esther in the English, invite him to stay at their home, comma, where they fuck him a lot, and then they're joined by the roommate Harriet, brackets Shannon Elizabeth, who walks in, they're all fucking calling at the same time. I don't really understand what this is at this point. John and Judy. 
John Martin Freeman and Judy Joanne Page and professional body doubles for films, full stop. They meet for the set scenes in film for which Tony is a production assistant, full stop. John tells Judy that it's nice to have someone you just chat to. While to a perfectly comfortable being naked and simulating sets on screen, comma, they're showing tentative offset, full stop. Carefully pursuing a relationship, they attend Christmas passion involving brackets, involve David Natalie, comma, Harry and Karen's children, comma, Sam and Daniel Adel, brackets, at local school for John's brother. What if what's the parents recognise he's doing? Like, you're fucking sick, you know? Fucking, Rowan Atkinson is jewellery salesman, comma, whose obsessive tension gift wrapping near results in Harry being caught by a necklace from Mir by Karen. Full stop. Also, comments his distraction of staff at the airport, which allows Sam sneak through to see Joanne. Full stop. Wouldn't he be arrested for that? In direct and cast commentaries, revealed that Rufus was originally supposed to be a Christmas angel. However, this was dropped from final script. What the fuck was he doing in the movie then? Random as fuck. Epilogue. One month later, comma, all the characters are seen in Heathrow Airport. Full stop. As you do. Billy Toast joined this Christmas single spurred to come back, full stop. Juliet, comma, Peter, comma, and Mark meet Jamie and Sprite, Aurelia. Karen and kids greet Harry, comma, but Karen's reaction suggests they're struggling to move past his attempts to fuck his secretary. Sam greets Joanna, who's returned with her mother from America, comma, and Daniel's joined both new girlfriend Claudia Schiffer and her son, full stop. New West John and Judy, comma, hang off to the honeymoon, comma, running Tony, comma, who's waiting Collins, who returns from America, full stop. Con returns with Harriet and his sister, Denise Richards, what, what the fuck, comma, who greets Tony with a hug and kiss. Cool stuff. Natalie Wiggins David back from his flight. Where the fuck will he fly to in view of breast comma? In case their relationship's now public, full stop. He sees devolving to footage of actual rivals at Heathrow, comma, screens fight into an increasing number of small segments which form a shape of a heart. I don't know about you, but that, sc- that movie scares the shit out of me. And also, they cut the subplot which concerned. A kid's teacher, brackets, Anna Reed, and her dying lesbian partner, Francis Law, because why should lesbians be featured in a movie about love at Christmas? Why should they be featured? A bunch of white people doing white people things, and Colin Firth getting off with a Portuguese woman who falls in love with, despite never having conversation with them, and Chris Marshall going fucking America, and fucking three American women at the same time, so fourth one walks in. And starts fucking her at the same time, and then comes back with her sister Denise Richards to to England, and says, "Oi, Tony, my son, you can be with Denise Richards. She is a fuck. She better fucking scientist in fucking Bond. In fucking the wave is not enough. She is a scientist. She was a scientist. She she and Bond came at Christmas. He came at Christmas in a scientist and fucking." Daniel fucking Liam Neeson who in this movie was not walking the streets with a vengeance or or getting revenge for his daughter or his ex-wife who he didn't love but he secretly loved and she loved him she didn't love that other guy she fucking loved him he's not doing any flat shit no his wife died his stepson who might be his actual son no Liam Neeson no he, he got together with Claudia Schiffer and she she has a kid and, and Martin Freeman fucking Watson Watson was a porn actor. He was a stunt cop. Watson was a stunt cop. Fucking Alan Rickman, who died for our sins, Alan Rickman died for our sins, couldn't make it worth Emma Thompson. He couldn't do it. And Rowan Atkinson might be an angel. 
And fucking Laura Langley did not get any sets. I I I I am terrified, but I think it's time for me to sign off. So until next time, remember, life is beautiful.